Well, good morning, Redemption Church. So good to be with you guys back in the high school. Is this not great or what? Man alive. You know, I, I wasn't sure how I was going to fully feel about today because, you know, just get sort of into the comfortable ruts of routine and familiarity. And then as soon as I drove up here this morning, I'm like, this just feels so right. And it's amazing to think we collectively, you know how long it took us to get here? 876 million miles. That's how long it took us. Because we have gone a time and a half around the sun since we were here last time. 18 months, that's a long journey. Israel thought it was tough going through the wilderness for 40 years. Woo! Well, that's a lot of miles we put on doing this. So, but we're back in here, and it's amazing to think it's been 10 years that we've been meeting here at the high school. And uh, we're hoping, by God's grace, that starting this next year, We'll be breaking ground on a new facility downtown, and uh, so we believe that God's just up to some really great stuff, but it really does just do my own heart a great deal of good to be here with you all this morning, to see your faces, to be back in the space, and to be enjoying God. And also for everybody that's online as well, just want to say thank you for you tuning in as well, being a part of our digital community as we're seeking to make much of Jesus uh, in this space, and that we are seeking to learn how we as Christians can do some crazy stuff and how that will grow our faith. And so right now I want to just go ahead and pray for all of us today. And in that, I want to thank God for getting us back into the space today. Uh, he's been so faithful, like I said, in so many ways. And so I'm just looking forward to seeing what he has for us today. So let's go ahead and do it together. Jesus, I am, I am truly thankful. Uh, I'm thankful for the journey. And, and I say that maybe in hindsight, because there was much in the last year and a half that was hard. That w- There was much in that time that we all wrestled with, with different things in different ways. Uh, We all had to learn our frustrations and to yield those to you. We had to learn our fears and yield those to you. We had to learn just about our own selves and how we are to be more like you. And so in many ways, we're even looking at this series, Jesus, because I believe it's time for us to even kind of do a little bit of recalculation, recalibration, and do the things that grow us uh, in you and closer to you. And so I pray that as we are going through the series, and I pray this morning as we're learning from your word, that we would be challenged to lean into it, that we would see the beauty that is there, especially the beauty in the hard stuff, and that we would want to embrace those hard things because we know that you, you reward hard decisions and hard things. And so Jesus, I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for your continued love and care for us. And I pray that we are faithful to you. And so we look to you and you are your good and perfect name. Amen. So we are in this series. We have titled it Crazy Stuff That Christians Should Do. And we are looking at some crazy things. And so the first week, for example, we talked about the importance and the need for us to go to God and to give God a piece of our mind. And the heart behind that was this idea of authentic, unfiltered prayer, right? Not just our canned prayers, our rhythmic prayers, our protected prayers, but really going to God and saying, God, I long for you. God, I'm going to level with you. And God, I want to listen to you. That is huge when it comes to our walk with Christ and how we grow strong. And so that was the first week. And then the next week was a week that I was in here. I was out of town, did a video, and we learned all about what it means to truly hunger for God. We learned that we should skip dinner every once in a while. And in the midst of that, the heart is so that we would grow more in our witness with Christ, not simply our witness. That we would want to do life with Jesus more than simply living life 
for Jesus. And the heart behind all of this is just knowing, like I know it in my own life, when I have to dig from my own reserve, find my own strength, muster my own resolve, there's something about that that's more just mechanical. It's not passionate, it's not deep, it's not Holy Spirit driven, it's just Matt in his own tenacity trying to white knuckle it and, and do good things for God, and yet that kind of putters out over the course of time. And so even that is something where when we stop and we genuinely physically hunger for God, God meets us in that space and does things in our lives. And so these are crazy things. But today we're looking at another one of the crazy things that we as Christians should do. And the title of this should be a little alarming to us as soon as we hear it. It's this whole idea of what we want to do when we consider the Christian life is we want to, ready, put God to the test. In fact, I'm daring you or challenging you today to do that very thing, to actually put God to the test because if you do so, it just might pay off. Now, as we get into this, I want to let you know that I have been studying this book for a long time. I've been reading it for an even longer period of time, and it is frankly a peculiar book. It is. Like, I would never want to kind of sugarcoat it and say, oh, the Bible's just so easy to figure out and understand, and it's just always so plainly laid out. No, there's things in the Bible when I read it where I'm like, that's confusing. Or sometimes I go, that right there seems to conflict with that over there. And I'll be honest, even as a conservative evangelical pastor, there are times I'm reading through the Bible and I go, man, when I see that verse there, it looks like it contradicts this verse over here. And so I have to kind of figure out why or work it through or solve the problem or whatever else. And, and I think when you come across those things that seem to contradict or conflict or whatever else, there's kind of one or two modes that people will tend to take. Maybe actually one of three. Some will say, ha, see, they don't fit together. It's all a lie, Right? I don't think that's a healthy mode to take. Another one says, I need to solve the problem. I got to make sure I can explain why this verse fits with that verse and there's no conflict. But I also think in there sometimes, even though that method is healthy and good, I think sometimes it's also really good to say, you know what, I don't understand how these fit, but I want to take each thing at face value in their own right and understand the lesson of each idea. Now, I bring that up because of the topic of the day, calling this this whole idea of testing God or putting God to the test. As soon as you hear that, you should actually be a little nervous. Like, is Matt going to have his job by the end of the day? Are you really supposed to test God? And I understand why you're in that space and you go, maybe this is not the best title for the message because we see in the Bible twice, both from Moses and from Jesus, that we're not to test God. In fact, it literally says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so if the Old Testament says it and the New Testament says it and then Matt decides to make it a title, you should be like, Matt doesn't trump the Old and New Testament. We should be nervous. We should email the elders by the end of the day and they could take some action against him. Like that would make sense. But here's the thing. That is true. Moses says it. Jesus says it. But there's this one time, one, in the Bible where God himself, right? So the, the one that sort of is the ultimate architect, right? The one that both Jesus and Moses say we worship, we listen to, we follow that same God. He rolls in on the scene, comes to his own people, and he says this to them in Malachi chapter 3. He says, try it actually. Put me to the test. 
So Moses says, don't test God, and Jesus says, don't test God, but God says, well, there's this one instance where I want you to test me. And I want to be clear, when he says this in Malachi, this is not like, go ahead, I dare you, test me, and I'll pound you into sand. That's not what he's saying. Actually, it's almost this idea of like a double dog dare that God's bringing. Like, okay, here you guys, I want you to check this out. If you do this thing and put me to the test, oh, let's see what happens. Right? And it has this positive edge, but it's a positive edge in the midst of sort of a negative challenge or problem. Now, you have an app, and in your app there are notes, and if you'd like to take notes today, now's the time to get to those, because I want to start this off by looking at the first point in your notes, and it's this idea of what God is dealing with with the people of Israel in the book of Malachi, and it's this idea of getting busted for not doing your chores, but still getting an offer to double your allowance. That's what God's dealing with. People are getting busted for not doing their chores, but God is going to roll in and say, but you know what, in the midst of that, I'm willing to double your allowance. Now, I, I titled this first point like I did because when I was a kid, uh, there was this little cardboard kind of graph on the fridge, and it was all my chores. And every chore had then a dollar amount allotted to the chore. The problem was, if I didn't do my chores, I wouldn't get paid, but my parents would roll in and say, but you still have to do the chore for no cash. Right? And so it was better for me to do the chore than get paid than to not do the chore, not get paid, and still have to do the chore, and then it would be a drag. Right? So that's just the way things operated in my home. But God doesn't operate that way. Right? God is trying to move his people along in sort of a different fashion. And so in the book of Malachi, which is this short little Old Testament piece of literature, it's one of the minor prophets, right? So one of the, the guys who was kind of called to bring God's message to the people, it's in that section that God is speaking about this. And poor Malachi, he has one job. He needs to go and tell God's people stuff they don't want to hear. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to go to a person or a group and tell them the exact opposite of what they wanted to actually hear from you? Or even worse, that you were gonna tell them something that they flatly didn't even believe or think. They'll actually resist you and fight you for what you're going to say. That's Malachi. In fact, all of the Old Testament prophets, they all kind of had the same dilemma. God's like, you're the mailman. I'm writing the mail. You deliver my mail. And then those mailmen go like but they're not gonna like me, I'm not gonna trend well on Twitter, I'm not gonna get a thumbs up, I'm not gonna get a smiley face, I'm not gonna get a heart for this, and God's like, I know, right, go, go do it, right? That's the minor prophets. And so Malachi has to roll in and deliver God's mail here. And so in Malachi chapter three, he just starts literally saying verbatim what God says. And so God through Malachi says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why your descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. So God's like, I'm faithful to you even when you're faithless toward me. I am for you even when you're against me. I look out for you even when you just completely ignore me. So clearly this is a challenge. Then it says in verse seven, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now, he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, you would think when that message is delivered, the people would say, oh, God has spoken. We've made a mistake. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. But that's not their headspace. 
They're not looking to be penitent in any way. They're looking to be defensive. And God knows it. So he already speaks on their behalf based on their thinking. He says, I say this to you, but I know what you're thinking. You're going to ask me in verse 7, how can we return when we've never gone away? God, how can you say we've ditched you or denied you or disobeyed you? We do your stuff, man. We pray, we go to church, we do religious stuff, we forgo that delicious bacon. We do what we're told, right? How can you say we've somehow strayed from you? And so God gets ahead of the argument, and he says in verse 8, he says, should people cheat God? He says, yet you have cheated me. Right? So he's trying to get to the core of one of their problems. It's not the only problem, but it's one of the problems. But he's highlighting this idea of where their headspace is and where his headspace is is two different things. They're looking at themselves saying, we're faithful. And God says, no, I think you're a bit marmy. I think you're uh, kind of a charlatan. You're a cheater. You're a sham artist. And so the people are going to ask, well, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? What are you talking about, Willis? We've been faithful. We've showed up. Ever since Babylon, when we came back, man, we're trying to do the law, do the right thing. We don't follow the idols. We're, we're on top of things as best as we understand it. How have we ripped you off? And God says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings that are due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. So what's the crazy stuff of the day? Yes, it's your money. It's your giving. It's your tithing. You're welcome. All right, so like, really, this is our first Sunday back into the building here at the school, and this is going to be the topic. And I go, yes, it's going to be the topic, but it is so good, and it's so good for our own souls. Now, right now, I'm sure somebody's like turning to their spouse going, told you we should have stayed home, watched online. But you're here. <laughs> it's okay. It's going to make perfect sense. And by the end of the day, you're going to be, yes, thank you, God. You've given me such an opportunity to do a crazy thing in which to grow. So we're going to tackle this one because, again, I think it's fruitful for our lives, and clearly it's fruitful when we look at the Bible. Now, to deal with this and to reduce the tension, I want to deal with a couple of things I think comes up when this comes up at church, right? So the first is people will hear about giving in relationship to the Bible and church, and they'll be like, oh, here it is. The church just wants our money. I want to help you on this. Everybody wants your money right? Like, honestly, right? Everybody does. Amazon wants your money. The Seahawks want your money. Like, Walmart wants your money. There's a rich Nigerian prince wants your money. Everybody wants your money. The NRA wants your money. Greenpeace wants your money. It doesn't matter. Avista's going to take your money, and Puget Sound Energy's going to take your money. Man, the list can go on and on and on. Everybody wants your money. Netflix wants your money. Family members you can't stand want your money. Like, all of that is in there right? We know this to be true. And what's really tragic about this, and where I agree with so many of you, is that um, too often religion, church, charlatans in the name of faith, they want your money. And they want it for less than noble reasons, and they squander it in foolish ways. And I think Jesus, more than anybody else, is frustrated by that truth. But with that, I want to let you know, I don't want your money. And frankly, 
Redemption Church isn't like, man, we need your money. We want your money. Give us your money. That's not the heart behind why I'm doing this message today. What we desire here at Redemption is that we want something for you. Far more than we want something from you. Right? And and so that's why I'm choosing this as the crazy topic of the day, because I really do believe that when we listen to what the Bible says about this, this is more of a gift given to us than it really is about something being taken from us. And so that's the first thing I think it's important. The second thing I think is really important is it's very easy on a topic like this to say, oh, so this is about money and this is between uh, me and you, Matt, or myself and the church. And I go, no, no, this is ultimately about every one of us and God, that's what this is about. This is not about this, right? This is about us and God, what God seeks of us and what he desires for our lives. Now, with that, you might go, well, I'm confused. Like, Matt, so you're saying God is hard up for cash? <laughs> like, I, I need to loan him a couple bucks so he can get by? I thought God has cattle on a thousand hills. Like, why would God want my, my money? Here's the thing I want you to capture. Obviously, God doesn't need your money, right? God can fund anything at any time. God can do whatever he wants. I believe what God wants for us is he wants our hearts. And and we know from Jesus himself in in Matthew chapter six, he's like, man, the heart reveals much. And money in relationship to the heart reveals what the true heart is all about. So God cares about your heart so much, he puts money on the table as a means or a tool to revealing the heart or to growing the heart or whatever else. So there's something about that where God says, I care about your heart. And in that... I care about the quality of life that you live. I care about your fears and your worries and everything else. And God knows that money can rob us of life. God knows that if we cleave too hard to it, desire to have it too much, think it's going to be the thing that rescues us in some way, God's like, that will rob you of an abundance of life. And we know it. We've all stressed about money. We've been worried about money. We're worried about the economy, whatever it is. And God's like, I want to free you from that, one of the tools that he uses is this idea of giving. And so he wants us to do some crazy stuff, right? Now, going back into Malachi here, I want to be clear about what my, my goal is. Um, I'm not wanting to teach the letter of the law, all right? Because the New Testament even gets into this as far as it's about your heart. It's not about a certain percentage or whatever else. But I, but I think there's a lesson in Malachi. And from that, we want to get the spirit of the lesson here and what it is God seeks of us and what he wants to basically have us do with our dough, with our cheddar, with our cash. What does he want us to do with it in such a way that tailors the heart to let go of the dependency on those things and to depend more on him, and to then provide for the things that he cares about because we're showing we care about those things too. And so of all the ways I'm trying to figure out, like, hey, man, how can I capture this? I decided to bring out of the mothballs an old and happy donut illustration. (laughs) What God wants us to do with our dough, our dough. All right, so, and Seahawk Colors dough, all right, so covering all the bases today. All right, so dough, it's important. Here's what Malachi is getting at, and here's kind of the idea of what we want to capture. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, right? So when Israel comes back to their homeland, God's like, man, you guys are going to just nail it here. 
It, you're going to thrive. Your economy is going to be kicking. Stock market is going to be raging. You're going to just be flowing with milk and honey, which is kind of like the cream of the crop. It's like the extra awesome stuff for their culture and their time. He's like, you're going to be, you're just be on top of the world with all of your resources. But it's in that space, he says, that you'll begin to think that you've earned it, you've worked for it, you've done it. And God says, oh, watch out for that day. He says, watch out for that day because in reality, all the donuts that you have, God's given to you. They're all God's donuts, right? So they're on loan to you. You get to utilize them. You get to have fun with them. You get to help people with them, everything else. So they're all God's donuts given to you, and you get to use the lion's share of the donuts, right? So it's like of 10 donuts, he says, I've given you 10, but here's the deal. Of the 10, I'm just asking that you would take one and give it back to me. I gave you all 10, but after I give you the 10, I want you of your own free will, right off the top, right at the beginning, to take one donut and give it back to me, right? So, so that's his principle. That's his heart, right? In fact, to even maybe capture this a little bit more, we'll create this little thing right here, and this will be the God side. This will be our side. So it's a pretty simple principle. In fact, the word tithe, when you read that in the Bible, we see it in Malachi, it literally means one-tenth, right? So it means one of these ten donuts. So God just wants one, which seems pretty amazing, almost seems crazy that we would say, ah, I don't know, you want one? I'd only have nine after that, God. Right, it seems more crazy to say it that way. Like, picture if your child came home with a box of donuts, and he came home with a friend, and the friend said, hey, can I have a donut? And your kid says, no, all 10 are my donuts. Well, can I just have one donut? No, all 10 are my donuts. You would wonder who raised your kid, right? right? You'd be like, why is my kid so greedy? Why is he so stingy and everything else? Well, it's the same idea. This is what God is trying to get at with the people that Malachi is speaking to, right? So the way it's supposed to work again is very simple. God gives you the 10. God's given you the intellect to earn money. He's given you the, the drive to earn money. He's given you the context to earn money. Certainly here in the American culture, the most poor person is rich by many global standards, right? And we live in a, a very fluent community as we do. So all the more, we, we, we've got resources, and God's given these resources on loan to us. And so from that, God just says, all right, I want you to take one and give it to me right? Simple model, simple pattern. But, but see, they're, they're not wanting to quite do that, and that's the dilemma. And, and the, the way this so often rolls out is really simple, right? Because we start with our paycheck or whatever it might be, and we go, man, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of money there for me to get by on for the month and put into savings and pay for kids' stuff and car payments and house payments and everything else. And so it's time for me, though. I got to give God his one donut. The only dilemma is iPhone 13. Hmm. Well, I'll get, after I get the iPhone, I'll give him the rest of the donut. Except I need a case. And I need more, like, backup memory. <laughs> and then I need to get the plan to protect my phone. And then my wife wants one. <laughs> and then I need to go to the doctor. 
Yeah, that was awful. Mm. But that's what we do, right? That's the temptation. So often, we'd be like, yes, I know, God, you want one of ten. But I've got needs, I've got wants, I've got desires. I've got donut all over me. So many things, God. And so that's how we tend to sometimes roll. And that's what God is getting onto their case for. Right? He says, you're giving me the crumbs, you're giving me the leftovers, if anything at all. Right? That's always going to be the temptation and the challenge when it comes to our ten and God wanting one. And I think there's different reasons. Like, I, I, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to be cold or callous or judgmental in any way. That's, that's not my heart because, you know what? I've been in that space. I mean, just being candid. There's been times that I don't give, and I'm a pastor, right? And there's all sorts of reasons. We may not give out of fear that we won't have enough by the end of the month. We may give out of, not give out of doubt. We sometimes don't give out a protest. I'm mad at this group. I'm mad at my church. I'm mad at this organization. I'm not going to do it. Sometimes we don't give just because it's easy to forget. We neglect it. We don't see the importance of it. Or we get real practical. We go, I just have too many practical needs. I'm not trying to be greedy or stingy. I promise when I get a raise, I'll finally do it. When, when things change, I'll do it. When I, my debts go down, I'll do it. Notice in Malachi, God isn't like, hey, once you get your debt settled... Once things get easy or comfortable, once you feel like you have the extra money, then give me my donut. And God just says, I've given you 10 donuts. I want one donut. Just give me the one donut. Show me your faithfulness. Now, in this, I want to be clear. Um, there's nothing about this that is remarkably practical, Right? Like, especially if you feel like, I don't have it to give it, that's not very practical. I, I think God's like, no, I'm not asking you to do something practical. That's why it's called crazy stuff that Christians should do. It is a little crazy. Now, in this, what God is wanting us to do is to certainly give to practical things, but he's not saying that that's a practical way to do it. But he says, when you do it, when it's not just the crumbs, the sticky leftovers, which really, that was terrible. Oh, man. But I'll still have a lick. All right. So, God says, No, if you do this, I'm going to do some radical stuff. So, He says, Here's what I want you to do. Verse 10 Bring all the tithes into the storeroom so there will be enough food in my temple. I want the whole donut, right? Not half, three quarters, a third, a crumb. Give me the whole donut. He says, And if you do, I'm not going to treat this as like some kind of penalty thing, like what I had as a kid, which is now you just got to do your chore anyway and you get nothing for it. God says, no, I'm giving you an opportunity in the midst of you not doing it, he says, I'm going to do something for you. So if you bring all the tithes into the storehouse, if you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it all in. And then from that he closes, try it. Put me to the test. See, what I love about this is he's like, I dare you to try to out-generous me. Right? I just dare you to do it. Because if you do, you're going to find out 
that I am pretty generous. If you are faithful with a little, he says, I will show you that I am faithful with a lot. Right? I love that heart behind it. There's this, pl- this blessing that's built in to the equation from God. But I want you to notice the design of what he's put together here. For you and I to test God, you ready? It means we have to test ourselves. That's the trick. If you're really going to put God to the test, it's going to put you and I to the test. In fact, that's number two in your notes. Testing God tests us to test him, to test us, to test him. You're like, boy, that makes sense and is complicated all at once. And I'm like, right, it's like sweet tarts or anagrams, right? It's like, makes sense, a little confusing. But you get what's going on here because notice again the pattern. You have cheated me of tithes and offerings. Bring the tithes into the storehouse. If you do, I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. So try it, put me to the test. You've been eating my donuts, but if you give me my one donut... I will give you more than just donuts. I will give you blessing. So I don't want us to get too binary here. Like, oh, okay, so if I give God one donut, he gives me nine donuts, but then from that, eventually he's gonna give me 18 donuts. I'm gonna have a lot of donuts and therefore I will have COVID weight. So like, that's not where we should limit this to. Because when God says, I will give you blessing, blessing is so much richer than just simply, oh, so I'll have more cash in my pocket. In fact, when I read Jesus, I see one of the greatest blessings he talks about is this idea that as you grow closer to him, you will begin to realize more and more that life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. You, you get freed from the shackles of stuff and fearing not having stuff. In other words, blessing oftentimes can be things like calm and comfort and a sense of contentment. Things that money in and of itself can't secure or can't necessarily by. But this blessing only comes when we're willing to risk, right? So when we're willing to test ourselves, go out on the limb of a test so as to test God that we do something so God does something for us. It means we have to change our thinking. See, so often what the thinking can be around this topic is an idea like this, I can't give until I have more. Right? I just I can't give till I have more because again, you know, once I have more, I, I'll have room to give. What God is actually saying in this though is instead, you won't have more until you give. Right? So so it's like what's the cart and what's the horse? Right? Your your decision to do something is the horse. And then God says, Man, I'm gonna follow up with the cart. Because that's a step of faith. That's a step of belief. And then from that there will be blessing. And so just as the title said for today, put God to the test, it just might pay off. And not only pay off in the the spirit of Malachi, though I think that's really true, but I think there's other ways that there's a blessing attached to this. This is why I like the word blessing that God uses, and not simply, if you give to me, I'll I'll just kind of dollar for dollar pay you back or something like that. I'll match two for one. He doesn't say that, but again, it's blessing. And I think there's three additional ways really fast here that he blesses. The first in your notes is testing God through generosity has the payoff of freedom. And freedom is priceless. True freedom. First Timothy chapter six. 
It says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmless, harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. I, I know many of us will say, I don't want to be rich. I just want to get by, be healthy, be comfortable, have a retirement, have all these things. That's still the essence of, I just want a little bit more. I want an assurance of these things to secure me. He says in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say money's evil. He says our affections for it, our faith in it. That's the danger. He says, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, Paul isn't wagging a finger here. I just want to be clear about it. Like, he's trying to warn us. He's like, I'm telling you, there's more freedom in doing this a different way. And so if we think, no, I need financial freedom, he's like, then you're never going to have freedom because finances can't do that. Finances can't be our savior or our security, even though we call them savings and securities. But, but they can't really accomplish that. If anything, can actually just enslave us. Thus Paul says in verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing into this world when we came in and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing let us be content. See, part of what giving and generosity does, all right, whether you were to give it to Redemption Church or some other thing, I'm not too concerned about whether you give it here. I'm concerned that you give it because I think God wants to bless you in the giving. And when we do that, when we actually give, it's a way we rebel against want. It's a way we cultivate contentment. And it's a way that God will use that stuff to produce freedom. But to put him to the test of this, you have to test yourself first. So that's the first way that God will bless. Second, testing God through generosity has the payoff of investing in needs. And frankly, that feels good. When you invest into the needs of others, when you give to help others, isn't it amazing how it makes you feel good too? Like it's always better to give than to receive. Like when you really lean into that, you're like, this is, this is so much better. Well, we see this in a radical way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's writing, and he says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. He says they are being tested by many troubles. They were being throttled, persecuted. Their businesses were being shut down by the government like they couldn't buy or sell or anything. And he goes, and they're very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in generosity. For I testified that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. They did it of their own free will. And they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem. So they had 10 donuts, which was probably like 10 pennies between 25 of them. And they're like, well, we don't want to just give God one, two, one, but we want to give him two and three. Now we're down to like a few cents and we're giving more. They just kept doing it. They didn't just get satisfied with we're going to give God one donut. They're like, no, we're going to keep doing it. And we're dirt poor. But we're dirt poor, and as we give, we have joy. And you see later that there's this promise in chapter 9 where God's like, and the more they're doing that, the more God is just fueling them and giving them more donuts. And when they get more donuts, they're not like, cool, let's go to Acapulco. They're like, we have more donuts. Let's give more donuts. Like it just became the cycle, and it unleashes in them joy begging to give. That's a powerful testimony there. Even while they're poor and suffering, they were being tested with many troubles, 
And then they tested themselves to test God to provide for them so that they could give more. I think that's powerful. That's crazy stuff. Maybe crazy stuff Christians should do. But then there's number three. Testing God through generosity has the payoff of compounding interest. And that's just good investing. All right? First Timothy chapter 6 again. Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust, rather, should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So in this, first off, hey, we're all rich. We just are. Even if we feel we're not, technically we are. And Paul says from this, don't trust in it. If anything the last 18 months should have taught us, don't trust in economies. Don't trust in the certainty of onward, upward, always going to be great, always going to be perfect. Anything at any point and any time can wreck it all. And so he says, man, put your trust in the right place. Now with this, God gives you your donuts for your enjoyment. That's true. Like I said, I mean, he gives you 10, says he wants one. You can keep nine. Now you can give more than nine. Right? We just saw that with the Corinthian church. They're giving away way more than one donut, right? But, but with this, you can enjoy what you have. But then in this, paradoxically, you give it knowing that you will receive far more in return. In fact, Paul continues. Verse 18. He says, Tell them not to use their money to do, or tell them rather to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Now, there's a bunch in there that I think is really cool. Like, man, when you do this, that's when you're finally living. That's the good life. The good life is not when you play, like, the game of life and you get to the end and you get the millionaire estates. That's the good life. Now, the good life, he says, is when you use what you have to do good for others. And so the instruction is, use your donuts for the things that God cares about. You can still play on it. You can still have fun. You can still take trips. You can buy cool stuff. But also invest it in the things that God cares about. But that's the other thing I see here, which is every time you give a buck away, it's not lost. It's invested it's tempting to go, oh, there's, there's the little minus sign in my checkbook, like anybody uses checkbooks anymore. So um, there's the minus sign, there's the, there's the debit. I just gave away a bunch of my money, and God's like, no, if you give it with the right heart, that's not a, a debit, that's a deposit. That's an investment with credit for eternity, right? right? What does he say? By doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. People love to say when you die, you don't get to take any of it with you, right? There's no U-Haul behind a hearse or whatever else. Like, I get that. But according to the Bible, you can't take it with you, but you can pay it forward. So every time you give in this world to the causes of the kingdom in Christ, Christ is like, man, I'm going to take that, and I, I, I'm going to multiply it. You're investing into eternity, and I'm going to multiply your investment. You give a buck here, I'll give you a hundred in the future. Like, that's a radical promised investment, and nobody can mess with that. No capital gains, nothing. Right? That's the promise. In fact, Jesus said it this way. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give. 
and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make more room where it's running over and pouring into your lap. The same amount you give will determine the amount you get back. In other words, Jesus is saying in God's economy, when you give, God gives back to you and it's overflowing, pouring out, radical and crazy. And you know what that takes? That takes faith. Faith for us to believe that God will in fact do this. That we will in fact put God to the test by putting ourselves to the test as well. But when we put him to the test, God says, oh, watch and watch out. I'm going to bless you. Let's go and pray together right now. Jesus, I thank you that you don't make the radical stuff easy. That we're calling the series crazy stuff because these are crazy things. I mean, honestly, like I, I look at some of this at times and I see the way you want us to do things and I'm like, you've got to be kidding. That's just not the way of the world. And yet that was so clearly your message, right? The greatest is the least. The, the first is the last. The kingdom's upside down. We don't do anything like the ways of the world. And yet from doing it your way, there is a depth of blessing and contentedness that is not found anywhere else. And so, Jesus, I pray for all of us this morning that we will be a people that are not ruled by possession, ruled by money, ruled by the security or savings that we think is found there, but rather we are ruled by wanting to walk with you, know you, uh, be with you, have withness with you, do life with you, not simply for you, and in that knowing that part of that is just testing ourselves, where we put our security, where we put our affections, and if we're willing to make investments into your things. And so, Jesus, I pray for those who are with us today that may go, I, I know I need to lean into this one. I need to do this thing. I pray that you give them the courage, the conviction, the wherewithal, the stamina, the passion to take that step. And I pray for those who are doing this, that they would sense your blessing, your care, your conviction, your focus on how the kingdom moves forward in pretty radical ways. And so, Jesus, we look to you, and we certainly need you. We love you, and again, I thank you for the fact that you challenge us to greater things. So we give you praise this morning in your name. Amen.